do it and then go, oops, and then bite his nails and go, oh man, I'm sorry I did that. That's not what God was feeling. That's what you and I feel because we're not all powerful. God is feeling sorrow for what it's become. It's not telling us it got out of control and he didn't know what was going to happen. He knew what the ramifications were. If Adam and Eve bit that fruit and then started being fruitful and multiplying a bunch of sinful kids. So God is not not in the know. He's not confused. He's not biting his nails. But he would be cold hearted if he looked on this earth and saw wickedness continually and just didn't feel anything. He did feel and he felt grief. He said it grieved him at his heart that he made man. So he feels this deep grief, deep sorrow at what he's looking at. And he decides he's going to destroy everything, right? Wipe the slate, wipe the slate clean, so to speak. Just destroy man, woman, child, animal, birds. Just destroy them all. Except for one family. Because the Bible tells us he, Noah found favor with God. And the reason why he found favor is because he had faith. He had faith in God. This is the kind of guy where if God were to tell him, uh, there's going to be something called rain, and it's going to be so much of it that you're going to need a float on top of it, so I need you to buy, build something called an ark, he would do it. That's the kind of guy Noah was. And if he asked Noah to preach to everybody else and tell them this crazy story and actually expect them to believe him, Noah would do it. Because Noah was that kind of person. He was righteous. He did what was right. Even though everyone else was doing what was evil, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we know it wasn't perfect because the Bible tells us there's no one's good, right? They said, oh, good rabbi. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. None of us are good. But he had faith. He had faith when no one else did. So God chose him and his family and told him to build this ark, gave him the measurements, told him what kind of wood, told him how to pitch it on the inside and on the outside, gave him the orders to, you know, basically the blueprint for this thing. And so Noah and his family, they begin building this ark. And sure enough, what the Lord had promised happens. Rain does come, but it's not just rain, right? Some of you maybe read this recently. The, the earth broke open and water just started gushing out of the earth. You know, you think of like geysers and water was coming from the bottom. Water was coming from the top and it, it, filled, it filled the earth. And so everyone drowned. There's a, a famous painting. I don't know if you've seen it, but I just was turned on to it this week. Uh, Gustave Doré, I think I'm saying his name right, is a French artist. Uh, and he did a lot of paintings of Bible stories. And he painted the story of the flood. And in this painting, there's water sloshing and pushing up against a rock. Nothing else is exposed. This must be a peak. This must be one of those high points in the land. And, and around this rock is a family. And they're, they're pushing toward the rock. One man, his head is in, already in the water, and he's got his toddler-aged child slung over his shoulder, but you can see that the child is already gone. And he's trying to make his way toward the rock. Another man is pushing his wife up onto the rock, and she has her little child, and she's pushing the child up on top of the rock. There, there, are, birds, there are birds swirling around this rock that are exhausted you know, from, from flying and not having a place to land. At the peak of the rock, there's a tiger, 
and the tiger is not concerned with the people that are next to it. And it's not that the tiger is not the danger because the tiger has a cub in the tiger's mouth. And as the and as the water is surrounding the rock, you realize in this moment they have minutes, minutes to live. And then at the bottom of the painting, the title is The Great Flood. That's the depiction. He had other paintings where the water subsides. And there's a, that's actually a wood engraving. The ark is resting on the side of a mountain. And there's sun. It's a gorgeous scene. It's like a sunset, beautiful. The birds are coming out of the ark and the family is coming out. Animals are coming out. But that's in the background. The foreground of the painting, right in front of you, are just dead bodies strewn all over the mountainside. As the water subsided, all these dead bodies sank to the ground. And so it's, it's difficult to read this and not get the sense of tragedy here. That Noah and the ark, this story is not about cute animals, right? I mean, it, it's not about uh, fluffy bunnies in pairs hopping onto the ark. I mean, this happened, but that's not what the story is about. The story is about God's wrath and grief over sin, right? That, that's what the story is about. Don't let anybody tell you, I, God, but God, I can't deal with a God that's wrathful. I can't deal with a God that is angry about sin. God has to be loving. Don't, don't, don't just bite that bait and go, yeah, you're right. He is just loving. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son and whatever. Yeah, God is just loving. He is loving. We sang that line. We sang that line that his love extends. I forget how the line, his love goes as high as it can go. And then it says, and it goes to the deepest hell. Has that line ever struck you before? I mean, I, I, I saw that line and I'm like, does God love people in hell? I guess. I guess he is, he is love. Right? I'm, I'm feeling like I'm alone now for a second. But God, I think, yes, God loves them. God so loved the world, he gave his son. But, but yet, hell is still a reality. Right? So when someone comes to you and is like, I, I don't want to deal with a God about hell. I don't want to deal with a God that has wrath, an angry God, a jealous God. What is all that nonsense? I want to strip all that away and I just want a loving God. You know what they're telling you? They're telling you, I just want a God who cuddles me. I want a God who's like Santa Claus and just comes down the chimney when I need gifts, you know, and just rosy cheeks and I can just cuddle his big tummy and he just goes ho, ho, ho and it makes me feel good and I can come to him whenever I need him to feel good but he would never spank me. He would never yell at me. He would never point his finger at me. He would never correct me because he's love he's jolly God is not jolly if this is true if he flooded the world guys kids gasping for air this <laughs> I wouldn't preach this anywhere but I mean this is the story of Noah and the ark and I'm, I'm banking on you guys ability to say okay let's look at the word for what it is I don't want to just like kind of tear out the pages that make me feel bad and then just look at the pages that make me feel good. I want a complete picture of who God is. And God is a God of wrath. He is a God of love, but he hates sin. Another lie that's out there is they say, well, God hates sin. He hates sin. 
But he doesn't, he, he doesn't, he gets angry at sin. He gets angry at sin. He grieves over sin, but not the sinner. He's, he's not angry at the sinner. He doesn't get mad at the sinner. Yes, he does. When you, do, when you steal, when you lie, when you cheat, when you curse somebody else that's made in God's image, he doesn't go, darn it, they broke the line again. You know, He gets mad. He gets mad at that. Like when you have a child and you gave the child the rules and the child breaks the rules over and over again, don't you feel a sense of anger? You don't hate the child, but you're angry that they did that. It's, it was a clear disobedience to a rule that was made very clear. And you go, why did you do that? Why did you do that? You knew that was wrong. And so he senses grief. He senses the pain of it. He senses the wrath of it all. And God doesn't change. We today just sang songs to the God of the flood. To the God who killed all these people because of sin. We sang songs to him about his love and how it reaches to the lowest hell. We're acknowledging that hell exists and, and that he's loving. The, the two exist together. And what I want to look at today is the story of the flood culminates in a covenant that God makes with Noah that wraps this together and sort of gives us a big picture of what's happening here. And I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, pluck the one in front of you or next to you in the pew and make your way over to the eighth chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8. We just want to take a few minutes to look at how this story ends. Noah's been in the ark with his family. The water, uh, the, the, the floods, the deluge covered over the earth, killing all living, breathing things except for what was inside the ark. The family boarded the ark with the animals. God shut the door. And then they survived. The ark lands. Noah lets out a bird. The bird comes back. No place to land. Let's out a bird, the dove. The dove comes back with an olive branch but still didn't have a place to nest. Let's out the dove. The dove never comes back. He realizes, okay, there's enough land out there. The door opens. They exit the ark. Look at verse 20. After they get off the ark, here's what happens next. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Just pause there a second, because if you're like me, even this week I was reading that, and I'm like, so wait a minute, they took two doves and killed two doves? Or killed, killed the male and the female? So how do we have doves today? Well, back in the earlier chapter, God told Noah to take seven pair of every clean animal and only one pair of every unclean animal. That's a detail we, we kind of skip, and it doesn't become a problem until we get to this verse, and we're like, wait a minute, where did he get the animals to sacrifice? Well, because there were more than... Just the one pair. So he builds the altar. Noah builds this altar. And he takes these animals, the clean animals, the, the ones that you know, were worthy of being uh, eaten and used and sacrificed. He offered burnt offerings on the altar. So he took these animals, killed them, put them on the altar, set them on fire, and burned it. Well, what is, what is the significance of that? What is the meaning of that? 
verse 21 gives us a hint. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of that sacrifice, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Let's, let's pause again a second, because when I, growing up understanding the story, I thought the story went like this. And just give me a nod if you think this is how it was for you, and then I don't feel like such a chump, you know? This is how I thought the story went. God sees sin, goes, <laughs> floods it. And then Noah comes out of the ark, thank God that he saved somebody. And he comes out, and God is looking at all the mess that he made, and he goes, oh, now I'm sorry that I did that. I lost my temper, I lost control. I'm never going to do it again. I'm never gonna, now I'm making a promise with you. I'm never going to do it again. Does that resonate with like, how, how you understood it? But when you read this text, that's not what happened. The flood happened. Noah gets out. He offers a burnt offering. And in response to the offering, God said, I'll never do it again. Right there in verse 21. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma... The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground. Now he said it in his heart, he will say it out loud to Noah in the next chapter. But right then, the Lord makes a decision to never flood the earth again or curse the ground again because he smelled the aroma. Now this doesn't mean man is just going to be better. Because <laughs> look what he says, I'll never curse the ground again because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. So he's going, it doesn't even take generations and generations of evil to get built up. As soon as Noah's kids have kids, those kids are going to be fighting each other in the backseat of the suburban. You know what I'm talking about? These kids, they don't need to be turn, turned evil. They're, they're born broken. They're, born, they're, they're not evil. But you know, we, <laughs> this precious little baby in the back, and she's precious, she's, she's innocent, but there's something inside her. It's like inside her genetic spiritual blood. That we don't have to teach her as she gets older to do wrong. It's in there. And God is saying that's always going to be the case. That's, that's going to continue. Evil is going to continue. So he's not saying because now Noah is the new Adam. And Noah is going to start having kids. Noah's kids are going to be a lot better than all these other kids that I just killed. He's saying even though they're going to be bad. I'm not going to do the flood thing again. Why? Because the aroma of that sacrifice was pleasing. Now, the word pleasing there, I don't know if it's a good word, pleasing, because it makes it sound like, I don't know, it just makes it sound like he just enjoyed the smell of a burning dove. You know what I mean? It just makes it sound like he just liked the smell, the fragrance of the smoke. But the word there has the connotation of um, rest, tranquility. It can also be used to describe uh, the word soothing. So God wasn't pleased with it like when you bite into a piece of chocolate and you're pleased with that bite of chocolate. He was pleased with it like when you're really grieved and upset about something and then something happens to kind of cover over it and you feel better about it now. That, that's, that's what the word pleasing is getting at. Now that Noah sacrificed these animals and burned them because these animals who didn't do anything, these innocent animals, these clean animals who represents like innocence, they were killed, and because of that sacrifice, the aroma going up, 
God's wrath is appeased, uh, satisfied. His grief is soothed because of this sacrifice. Now, those of us who kind of like have read further than this in the Bible, we can know that this be, ends up becoming a system, doesn't it? He ends up instituting a system for his people, Israel. And they said, now there's going to be a sacrificial system. And every so often you bring clean animals and sacrifice them on the altar, and then I won't punish you. And because of an innocent being sacrificed, that blocks me from ex- extending my wrath to you. The picture is like God's wrath is going to continue. God's wrath is poured out on these poor little animals that are sacrificed on this altar, even though they, they didn't do anything. But Noah sacrifices them so that God is okay with Noah and his family. And that becomes a pattern in the temple. You bring these innocent animals, you slaughter them, you burn them, and as they're burning, God goes, you're okay with me now. You remember Isaiah in chapter 6? Isaiah comes and he sees the Lord in the, in the temple. He sees the Lord and he, and he, and he goes, woe is me, I'm come apart, I'm unraveled, I'm a sinner, I'm blah, right? And then what happens? An angel, a seraph, flies to the altar, grabs a coal with tongs and touches it to his lips. And says, now your sins are atoned for. Now you're taken care of. And Isaiah goes, Whew. And then God says, okay, now I need somebody to preach for me. Who can go? And he goes, I can go. So the woe was me is, is not there now. Now it's like, okay, I can serve you now because I've been atoned. Where did that coal come from? It came from a sacrifice that was burning on the altar in the temple. And that sacrifice was a system that started with what Noah did here. Now why, why is that? Why is that? Well, eventually, they would realize this. Animals don't cut it, you know? Animals can't save me forever. That's why I had to keep killing animals again and again and again. And again. keep the livestock coming, guys, because I messed up again, you know? I sinned again, and live, we need more livestock, and you would have to continue sacrificing. Well, all of it was a picture showing in the future what eventually would come and be an ultimate sacrifice. Animals, maybe we can say they're innocent, but they're not man. They can't represent man because they're not man. And so God sends his son, takes on humanity, lives the perfect life. And then when he dies, that's the perfect sacrifice. When this eternal person dies, he can pay an eternal penalty. A bird can't do it. A lamb can't do it. A little sheep can't do it. But the son of God, he can, he can do it. And so he pays that penalty forever. Amen? And so th- right here we see, why does God, why can God promise that he will never flood the earth again? How can he deal with man, work with man? Even when they mess up, he continues to relate with them, work with them. Because of sacrifice. Because he knew that he would send this seed. That seed would eventually desate, uh, defeat Satan, crush him, and pave the way for us to have a relationship with him. And so in a recent conversation, somebody asked me, you know, or they, they told me, you know, how does, God, how does God forgive somebody who just murders a bunch of people? And I asked him, Do you, have you ever thought why Jesus died the way he died? Like why it wasn't just a guillotine, why it wasn't just a quick injection or something, you know? Well, okay, they didn't have injection back then, maybe, you know, but something quick, throw him off a cliff, something, but it was the punching and the pulling of the beard and the mocking and and skin off his back and all this stuff because wrath was being unleashed on his son, the wrath that we should have received. 
And so God sets up this covenant with Noah in uh, chapter 9. It says, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And then if you drop down to um, verse 8, God said to Noah and his sons with him, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I've set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is in the clouds, I'll remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And waters shall never again become a, a, a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. A few weeks ago, uh, Brian and I grabbed something to eat. We were helping John move some stuff. And I don't know if you remember this, Brian. We, we got out of the truck and we're going into, I think it was Portillo's. And I look in the sky and I see this huge rainbow. It kind of disappears in the cloud. And then it pops out of the clouds and comes down on the other side of Naperville or wherever we were, you know. And I'm like, whoa. And I pulled out my camera and I tried to capture it. And it just it didn't come out. But in person, it was just amazing. It was radiant. And I thought, wow, that's the reminder of God's covenant. But it's not the basis of the covenant. God doesn't hold back his wrath because of a bow in the clouds. That's just to show us the reminder, right? That's just the sign. That's not the basis. The basis was the sacrifice. And so what is Christmas about, guys? What is Christmas about? We come and we see this child, we see this baby, and we go, man, that is the one. He is the one to cover God's wrath. The whole story of Noah and the ark is a picture of Christ. It's it's an illustration. It's an analogy. The floods represent God's wrath. Waters represent God's judgment throughout Scripture. And it kills everyone. It just kills everyone indiscriminately. Some were better than others. Maybe some were more evil than others. But all of them, all of them, except for those covered in the ark. God is the one that shut the door. They're protected. They're covered from the flood. And guys, Jesus came to be that ark. Jesus came to be the one that covers you, that refuge, so when God's wrath is unleashed in judgment, you're untouched. And that is amazing. That inspires worship, guys. And when you come and you worship the king, you go, man... I should have received wrath. There's a sense of guilt and I should have received it. But Jesus covers it. He covers you. And so we don't have to go through life biting our nails. Like, am I saved? Am I not? Am I sure? Am I, can I make it? Is it a little bit Jesus and then some of it me? No, it's, it's all Jesus. Noah didn't paddle. He didn't, I don't want to squeeze it too, you know, squeeze the analogy too much. But I mean, it's consistent with the rest of Scripture. They didn't participate in helping the boat protect them. The boat protected them. And the reason why God chose them was faith. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're protected from wrath. And that is offered to the worst of sinners. Guys, that is offered to the worst of sinners. Because Jesus' sacrifice covers it. The worst of floods, the heaviest of waters, won't sink that ship. 
And so we worship a God who, yes, he's angry at sin. And he sent his son to do something about it. And that, that inspires our gratitude. If we have a low sense of God's wrath, right, we buy into, God is just, he's a big cuddly giant, you know, he's, there's no wrath. Then we'll have a low significance of Christmas. But if we have a high sense of his wrath, how God grieves over sin and I grieve over sin, that when I sin, I feel like it's not okay. It's not just okay. And even when you go apologize to the person and they go, eh, it's okay, don't worry about it, I forgave you before. I need, to get this, I need to get this right. It's not okay. It's not okay because it's not okay with God. And you sense the grief of his spirit. And as you sense that grief of wrath, that, that grief over sin, your appreciation and gratitude of Christmas skyrockets. If you think you don't need Jesus, then it's just a baby lying in a manger. But if you understand why he had to come, Christmas takes on a new meaning, and I hope a fresh meaning. I want to ask the worship team to come forward. And um, as we close in worship, um, worship is our response to Christmas, even when it's not Christmas, okay? Worship is our response to Christmas even when it's June, okay? It's Jesus coming and being that, that one to come, he would be sacrificed for us. He would, he would live the life that we could never live. He'd be that innocent one so that God can be pleased and satisfied. And we, we don't have to walk around having nightmares that God is angry with us. The cross blocks that wrath forever. And I want to invite you to worship uh, the Lord with me now in response to the message of the gospel, the true meaning of Christmas. Let's worship together. Spots 